Hi, I'm Mark Chavez. I'm one of the hosts of Let's Make a, a comedy docuseries podcast about the creative process. Each season, my co-hosts, Ryan Beal, Maddie Kelly, and I, take on an artistic challenge and you follow our journey. In Let's Make a Sci-Fi, we wrote a science fiction TV pilot. In Let's Make a Rom-Com, we wrote a romantic comedy film. And on our latest season, Let's Make a Horror, we produced a horror short film. And when we run into trouble, we interview Hollywood experts. People who have worked on big things like The Blair Witch Project, The Office, Star Wars, Mamma Mia, and more. All three seasons of Let's Make a are available now, wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. You have to cross the street to take the whole thing in. Deanna Bowen has created a giant mural on the side of the National Gallery, basically an entire city block. She'll tell you about putting the history of anti-Black racism in North America on display and how she wove that history with her own family's story. I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Tom Power. You're listening to Q. I'm Ira Madison III. And I'm Louis Fertel. This year, we're excited to bring you new episodes of Keep It covering the holy trinity of award season, Emmys, Grammys, and the granddaddy of them all, the Oscars. It's like the Super Bowl for Hollywood, but with more sequins and fewer concussions. And we are continually blessed by iconic guests like Michelle Yeoh, Tori Kelly, Andy Cohen, and Jinx Masoon. New episodes of Keep It drop every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts, or subscribe to Keep It on YouTube for access to full episodes and other exclusive content. My grandfather taught me how to look for the Klan, and I've been very open about that for, you know, most of my practice, um, you know, knowing when white supremacy shows up on your doorstep or when racists come to your doorstep, what to do with that. That's Deanna Bowen, whose art weaves together her personal history, her family's history, with Black history at large. I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Tom Power. You're listening to Q. And as you'll hear in our conversation, Deanna did not have an easy childhood. When she was growing up, she didn't think she would live to see the age of 25. Her family was living hand-to-mouth in a rough part of Vancouver. In her words, she was surrounded by wannabe pimps, drug dealers, and low-level hustlers. And in all of that, there were certainly no artists in the family she could look up to. Now today, Deanna Bowen is a celebrated artist who makes video installations, drawings, sculptures, photography, you name it. And she tours around the world. She's won a Guggenheim Fellowship and a Governor General's Award. And right now she's got a giant two-story high mural on the National Gallery of Canada in Ottawa. It's called The Black Canadians After Cook. It tells the story of racism in North America over the course of centuries, But like all of Deanna Bowen's work, it's also about her family. It's her trying to make sense of how she grew up and why it always felt like she was fighting to survive. Here's our conversation. Hi, Deanna. Welcome to Q. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. And congratulations on this piece. (laughs) Thank you very much. It's, uh, gosh, it's a big thing, eh? (laughs) I mean, tell me how big it is. Like, how far back do I have to stand to take in this two stories high piece of art to get the full picture you'd have to just walk across the street it's inevitable it's you can't escape it um i could see it from the eighth floor of my hotel room wow that was just the best thing i I mean it's it's huge it's huge i don't even know i can't even remember what the footage the square footage is but it's just a block 
<laughs> just a, sen- round it out. <laughs> a sensible city block on the side of the National Gallery. And it's, I mean, it's the biggest, this is their biggest exterior installation, uh, yeah. I think, in their history, right? So this is, this is yeah. huge. And to really appreciate your art fully, before we talk about this piece, I think we need to talk a bit about where you came from. Uh, sure. you, you grew up in some of Vancouver's earliest social housing, and it sounds like you were surrounded by so many relatives. How would you describe your, your family and the way that you fit into it? Oh, gosh. For me, I grew up in the 70s at a time frame when my grandfather was out of the church and I was living in a multi-generational housing situation. My grandparents had a place in uh, Culloden Court, which was one of Vancouver's first social housing. And then we'd have the three of us, the grandparents, my aunt and my mom and a bunch of other boy cousins, <laughs> wannabe drug dealers, wannabe pimps, small town hustlers at the end of the day, really very messy <laughs> and always kind of getting into some kind of trouble. You've talked about growing up in this huge family and, and brawlers and you're this bookish person and, and you had yeah. said that you didn't think that you would make it to the age of 25. I'm wondering mm-hmm. if you can tell me ab- about what happened when when art came into your life in high school. Yeah. And, and in particular, I'm interested about, about the janitor's closet and the world that, (laughs) and the world that that unlocked for you. So would you, would you take us there? Yeah. I'm not a, I'm not a bad kid, but I'm a kid from a, obviously a really kind of messed up boundaryless, weird kind of a situation. So I talk back, (laughs) I talk back a lot (laughs) and I was really just acting out because my home situation was just, man, what do you do with that? So it would never, I don't know if it would happen again in these times, but they very wonderfully, there was space in the the high school where there was a janitor's closet and they had given it to me as a studio space. They would exile me to my studio whenever I acted out, which means, of course, I acted out more and I was always in my studio, which was a pretty prime piece of real estate to have at that time. And I'm very thankful that they didn't just kind of label me as a bad kid and kind of shut me down. They worked to figure out how to get me through and how to um, keep me out of trouble, to be quite honest. I was trying to get in trouble because I was trying to fit in with my family, but it's not really who I was. I was a horrible thief. <laughs> stealing art books out of the library and ripping the pages out and putting them on my wall and then returning the book, not really understanding the failure of my crime. But I, you know, by the time I graduated, I had this fabulous setup and it, I'm deeply indebted to those people for for thinking about these things when I was not. Well, they clearly saw something in you and and what they saw was was correct. They're justified. You've become this this very successful working artist. You became a Guggenheim fellow. And and so much of your work, these video installations and drawing and sculpture and photography reference your family somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, why is that? Is there something that you're trying to resolve or to understand through your artistic practice? Yeah. I mean, you know, the only way you can, I, I can say this now, having done the journey, you can't go forward until you know where you come from. And all of the kind of public history stuff that my work touches upon is I'm not going to say that it's irrelevant. It it helps me to better understand what my family went through. And we're never going to, we are never going to be a talkative family to speak through the trauma or the difficulties that we've had, the hardships that we've had, because, you know, it's just too painful. As most immigrant families know, you just don't want to bring that stuff up, right? Mm-hmm. But by doing the research uh, for as long as I have and filling the gaps, um, I'm able to understand the things that have 
you know, caught their tongue, so to speak, the things that they have swallowed for the sake of the subsequent generations. I mean, you've got this epic mural where people can mm. very, very, very quickly and in a very accessible way see a story yeah. that you're that you're trying to tell. This is the mural at the National Gallery of Canada right now, two stories high. Mm-hmm. Can mm-hmm. you just briefly tell me a few, a couple of the images that Dimensions? that I'll see on the on the side of the building if I look? Yeah, Black Canadian history wise, you're going to see Marianne Shad, who was one of the first publishers of abolitionist newspapers in Southern Ontario. Again, Black woman in Canada. You're going to see Uncle Tom, otherwise known as Josiah Henson, another Canadian former slave who created the Dawn Settlement, one of the earliest Black settlements. You're going to see who else? You're going to see a gentleman named Chito Harjo, um, also known chief as Chief Crazy Snake. And he is a Creek uh, chief who had fought his last standoff against U.S. Uh, authorities and uh, white supremacists and all of that stuff. Um, that last standoff is, and the battleground in which he was fighting is the pathway, it was the, the grounds of the area that my family was migrating through or contributing to um, as they were leading, uh, coming into Canada. From the southern United States, right? That's where they were were migrating to Canada from. Yeah. Yeah, we were, my grandmother's side is originally from Alabama and then comes up to uh, Indian Territory before it is the state of Oklahoma. And they were there for a good decade. They taught there. We had land there. The children were well-educated. The family was prosperous. It was not by any means a kind of a a poverty situation. Um, And we were about 30 minutes by car away from the Creek Nation headquarters. So we were living on Indigenous land. And it was a battleground. So when we hear about the Oklahoma land rush, as an example. Right. And we see all these images of these white uh, cowboys rushing off on their horses and staking a claim. They're, it's not, the land rush is kind of written in a very particular way of like just free land and, you know, up for the taking. When in fact, it really, thing that matters most about all of that is the horrifically violent uh, displacement of Black and Black Indigenous people. And that is literally how and why my family comes to the country. Uh, in the early uh, 1910s, 1909, 1910. And instead of Canada being a haven, Canada actually contributed to uh, keeping us back and uh, sending a preacher, some stories say a doctor, uh, going into Indian territory and telling us all not to come because the land's no good, you're not wanted, you can't make it, et cetera, et cetera. But that logic, that mindset still sticks into, if you go to the South, you know, the idea of Black people in Canada is just crazy, it's craziness. Why would they be there? You know, it's cold and inhospitable. Yeah, I mean, you take from that history in the in the title of your mural itself, right, from this editorial that ran in McLean's magazine in 1911, written by, 11, by yeah. Cook, um, arguing against the migration of Black and Indigenous people to, yeah. to Canada. I should clarify, it was preceded by kind of a media onslaught, a kind of a trial by media. Um, the Minister of Interior was a gentleman named Frank Oliver, who also ran the Edmonton Journal. Um, and so before we ever got across the border, he was already publishing articles about horrible, horrible racist stuff. Then the article comes out in uh, McLean's magazine by a gentleman named Britton Cook, who's a good uh, friend of Lauren Harris and many of the Group of Seven members, many of the Canadian cultural players of the early turn of the century. 
And the article is basically framing all of us as being, all of us being Black, Indigenous folks coming from Indian territory, as being, you know, the worst stereotypes of, of, you know, slavery and Blackness, you know, lazy, slovenly, poor hygiene, won't work, illiterate, you know, all of those things. And then the article closes with the call for, you know, a white British empire, right? White British Canada. So that that's the name of the art of the exhibition or the project because it you know it's an opportunity to open up the conversation about what we were met with. This is what we were met with. Now, it, if I were to ask my grandparents, they would have said we all got along mm-hmm. in that way that immigrants do to save the subsequent generations from the hurt. Right? Oh God, so, yes, yeah, to smooth over the ugly bit and 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 say, okay, we're here, we're here now. Um, yeah, isn't it great? We're no longer in that horrible place. Of course, they never talked about the United States ever right. um, as an example of like, you know, the degree of, of what they were trying to forget. And then everything that they experienced when they got here, they also erased that so that my mom's generation could go forward. And that was a really hard bill to fill. Uh, yeah, and I mean, here you are, a, a generation after that, putting mm-hmm. this history on a mural and saying, look at this, this is what actually happened. It was so ugly. Um, and, you know, I'm thinking of the some of the archival photos in this, yeah. um, on this mural, including a photo of, of Klansmen wearing their robes in BC. Yeah. We don't talk about Canadian history in, in this way. We often Mm-mm. sweep it under the rug. So tell me about taking images like this and putting them up on the National Gallery in Ottawa for everyone to see. Sure. Well, you know, again, thinking about who who informs my, inspires my work, my grandfather um, taught me how to look for the Klan. And I've been very open about that for, you know, most of my practice, Um, you know, knowing when white supremacy shows up on your doorstep or when racists come to your doorstep, what to do with that, right? Um, And it was a weird thing um, to try to visualize 1970s East Vancouver. There's nobody walking around with sheets on them. You know, it just felt like the oddest uh, thing to be taught. And to be honest, that kind of teaching, uh, the can't see it in my lifetime kind of teaching led me to believe that my grandfather was just, you know, old school for the longest time. You know, I wasn't taking him very serious at all. But researching beyond their migration and the environment that they had inherited by nature of coming here. You know, the clan is everywhere that they have ever been. And so certainly in Alberta on the farm, but certainly also in Vancouver in the city. And so it's documented, it's a truth. And it's not to say that when they disappear, that the clan is done. They just come and go when the when the time is right and they, and they rise when the climate is hospitable and they go underground. So it was important to name the clan, one, to affirm what my grandfather had told me. I'm sad that I was not able to kind of come to terms with what the wisdom of what he was offering when he was alive. But nonetheless, it's this is about his wisdom. In recent years, there's been so much research into intergenerational trauma and how the effects of racism trickle through generations. So I'm wondering when you step back across the street and just take in this giant mural that you've created... Uh, can you connect the dots between what mm-hmm. we're talking about that that would have happened hundreds of years ago to your ancestors and then the challenging childhood that you yourself had when you were growing up in British Columbia? Can I make the, can I connect the dots? Oh, yeah. Well, but that was the nature of the work from the very beginning, right? My mom's a big part of this puzzle. 
And um, I would say certainly for the last 15 years of my life, I have been working with her. She's got a lot of ticks, you know, that come from, you know, all kinds of different policies that the Canadian government developed in relationship to Blackness um, and this Black community. And there's a lot of unspoken racism and racial violence that she has witnessed and absorbed and never really been able to work through or released herself from it. You know, she is in her latter stages of dementia now. She's been living with me up until May and it got a bit, it got too much. And as an example, you know, what she's regressing to right now is an extraordinarily violent woman. And I know that that's part of dementia and Alzheimer's, but I, this is a weird thing to say, but this is her at her core. This is her affected self at her core. This is what her lived experience has kind of left her with. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's important to understand it. I, even though I have all kinds of unresolved things between her and I, I can make peace with the fact that this woman is who she is because of the life that she's lived and the struggle that she's fought in you know many ways to ensure that I could be here. I think with her significant assistance, we have been able to piece together the story in a way that has enabled me to tell a, tell our collective story um, in a meaningful way and in her lifetime, and that matters. So Deanna, tell me, has researching your family and your history on this scale and making art of it helped you to make peace with your own upbringing? I'm working on it. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I could, you know, I mean, come on, it's, it's, we're all grown people and we're all continuing to evolve and, and, and change. I would say, absolutely. There's a lot of stuff that I've been able to make peace with, but again, I'm, I'm still working with my mom and she still is who she is. And what I come out of with this practice and this process is an an enormous amount of pride for a family that I initially was ashamed of. And all of us, with all of our issues and misgivings and violence and all of that stuff, I completely understand why it is what it is. And at the end of the day, what I've done, what we've done is I've asserted that we are still here and the Canadian government or whoever it was that didn't want us, they did not erase us. And the story has been uh, has been put on for display for everyone to see. Really, really high, um, and really, really? Big. <laughs> so <laughs> so you can't mistake it. You, you can't. can't ignore it. Yeah, and that also matters. This little black family story is something that you will take heed of. Beautifully said, and we're going to leave it there, Deanna. Thank you so much, and congratulations on creating this incredibly important work. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. That was the acclaimed Canadian artist, Deanna Bowen. She's got a giant two-story mural on the National Gallery of Canada in Ottawa right now. The name of the exhibit is The Black Canadians After Cook. You can see her mural on the exterior of the building for the next year. You can't miss it. 
That's it for this episode of the podcast, but you can find another episode in your feed right now. It's Tom's conversation with Jason Siegel, the very funny actor who you might know from uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall or Freezing Geeks or How I Met Your Mother. He really opens up to Tom about having a reckoning in his artistic life that he needed to grow up and make the kind of art that I guess he wanted to see as an adult. They, they tackled a very big question, what is art and how do you know when it's time to leave your childhood self behind and really take that leap. It's a deep conversation. You can find it in your feed right now. I'm Talia Schlanger sitting in for Tom Power. I'll see you next time. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.